Welcome to another episode of Dying for Midnight, DFM. Be mindful of your surroundings while tuning in. There might be a fellow listener, and they're a lot closer than you think. Welcome back, everyone, to our second Friday in December 2023. Did you get that holiday shopping done yet, dear listener? Did you even start? Well, Carrie, I guess we're doing okay, but we better wrap it up fast. Ha, ha, ha. Or as you like to put it, moo, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Pun, unfortunately, intended. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're coming to you guys this week a little bit sick. Uh, sorry about our voices. Still excited to be discussing this Canadian slasher known as Silent Night, Evil Night. Uh, people really liked using Silent Night as a part of their holiday horror titles. And this one's also known as Stranger in the House, whenever you would find it on television. This episode, we like to call Suspect Sorority Tales. And what's this 1974 Canadian slasher really called? What's it really known by? Black Christmas. Carrie, it's time for Movie Morsels. Let's play that trailer. I love Olivia Hussey in this, but Margot Kidder, Miss Lois Lane herself, might just be my favorite. There's a, <laughs> not just her, but there's a lot of drunk people in this, which I guess is appropriate for a northern college location. Oh yeah, in those winter months, you know there's a lot of drinking going on. <laughs> Keep you warm. girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. 
Yeah, what I've done is I've tapped this phone so that when it rings, it'll ring at the station house, too. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Terminal 55. Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. Starring Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulay, Margot Kidder, and starring John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Okay, guys. Uh, Carrie, what is your reaction to that trailer? So, at first, you think you're watching a usual Christmas movie with that song Silent Night in the background. And then quickly, they switch it on you, so now you know it's going to be scary. It makes me think of all those older movies I've watched. Overall, I think the trailer gave away a lot, including the two deaths right out the gate, and even the part with the tracing the phone lines. It seemed to go on a bit. I think they could have said the same thing without showing so much. Yeah. Uh, Let me just start by saying that when a horror movie makes a font choice like this one in the trailer... For the title Black Christmas, um, it leaves an impression. There's this juxtaposition not only with the idea of Christmas in this dark black title. Um, there's the calmness, <coughs> pardon me, of the Silent Night song, and the many voices of our sick caller Billy, and the screaming of his would-be victims. The trailer is a little jarring. It's a little long-winded, too, but uh, I know a lot of trailers back then ran a little bit longer. Um, I love the British narrator at the end. Uh, I just like the way... See, I can't do it because my voice is too raspy from being sick. Uh, Where he says, if this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Although he said it a little less raspy, probably because he wasn't sick. <laughs> so we're gonna um, 
we're going to move right along, guys, the poster and tagline. Um, speaking of that tagline about your skin being on too tight, uh, the original one is for, like, if you go on IMDb, guys, for Black Christmas, the Silent Night, Evil Night is what's going to pop up. Uh-huh. So this is an original poster here where we've got uh, one of our poor co-eds, in the, and everybody's probably familiar with this scene, with the plastic bag wrapped over her face. Um, and then, Carrie, we've got the one that came out like in the Shout Factory special edition poster. This one, people are starting to know this poster for this movie more often than the older one. But um, I think they each have their merits. Uh, what What are your thoughts with the older poster and the newer one that's kind of tailor-made for physical media? I think there's something really great about the older poster. I mean, it's telling you right away, okay, somebody's dead and there's, you know, some scary stuff going on about, you know, who's going to survive? Will you you survive? Can you have a Christmas poster without a candle or holly or the lights from a tree or a wreath? I don't know if that's possible, but you can have that without at least one of those elements. Yeah, that was especially back... Um, I mean, we weren't born then, but I know even in the 80s, those are still iconic decorations. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it's kind of like, are you going to do a Christmas horror movie and not have red and green? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can, but then you're going to have more explaining to do this one right away. I mean, I do like it when we get to find out a movie has alternate titles. I have always liked that little quirk about movies and the way that they were marketed differently or reasons why it was changed afterwards for whatever reason. But, um, I like that we've got the silent night, evil night, uh, the little touch of the sorority house and the Christmas tree at the bottom of that poster, the little black and white illustration, um, the colors in that one, um, are again a juxtaposition to the black background and it's so these cheery colors that are we've got our poor coed dead in the attic on here the other one i like it but again this is something i told you when we were talking about other shout factor releases they tend to like make one thing in the center and then they surround it with different characters and that's like their go-to for every single release it looks good but it's you can see it like gets repetitive with the shout yeah. factory looks. I, I wish I personally wish that they would have kept something simple, like just the house and and like something else to not everybody. But again, if you look even at the Halloween shout factories, they all do the same thing. There's Michael's in the middle, Lori and all the characters surround that centerpiece. But anyways, guys, um, let's talk alternate taglines. Carrie, what is your title or excuse me, your tagline you created for this? This is the the Carrie alternate tagline. The sorority sisters are on Billy's naughty list. Oh, what fun he'll have. <laughs> I like that. Um, so for once, mine is not too overly long. I tend to get long-winded with my taglines. But um, maybe it's because I'm not 100%. I didn't go. But uh, mine is, the ladies at Pi Beta Phi are in the holiday spirit, but not for long. So 
That's the best voice I can do with how raspy I, I am. I'm sure it's working in my favor for this. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I could not re. <clears throat> in a world where Billy's in the attic. <laughs> Billy, what are you doing, Billy? Just one man is all it takes. Um, Gotta make those phone calls. Who's being charged? Billy, Billy, don't you lose that number. Uh, where to stream this one? Really, just about everywhere for free. Uh, grab this one on Tubi, or if you got AMC subscription, you're in business. Um, all the other ones, like Crackle, etc., Freebie, I don't, I'm getting to the point where there's too many. It's easy to find, or go on your Prime account, it's there. Now, ooh, here's the Mailwolf. Let's talk Mailwolf's physical media and ordering guide. Really simple, guys. Blu-ray, new, for 15 bucks. 4K collector's edition for 20 if you're into 4K, we're not. Multi-format is about $24 if you like to have both the Blu-ray and regular. You can find these on eBay, guys, but the Mailwolf tells me that by the time you get one of those used, it's you're not only a dollar or two off from getting a brand new Blu-ray. Now, speaking of Shout Factory, there is the Shout Factory Collector Edition with the poster and pin that comes with it. Ooh, uh, that's going to run you 100 bucks. but you are a mega Silent Night. Black Christmas fan. Evil Night. Uh, Stranger in the House. Gotta have all the bells and whistles. I say go for it. Um, but I know that's not our jam usually. I, I would just go for a Blu-ray. If I'm shopping for Christmas presents already, I don't think I'm spending 100 bucks on a DVD. <laughs> but that's no. just me. Uh, spoiler warning. Carrie, give us our spoiler warning. Welcome to the DFM Spoilers Incline. If you haven't watched this week's film or aren't a spoiler hound, you may want to skip this ride. For everyone else, welcome aboard. Please take a seat. Reminder to passengers, as we descend, we ask that you not feed the ghouls or hounds of hell. Enjoy the nightmarish landscape by moonlight as we descend 6,666 eons of brimstone. You now have arrived at your final destination. Spoilers ahead. You are warned. For more information on what an incline is, Google that shit. Now comes DFM's very own Jake the Midnight Traveler. No, he's an emotional support male. Case and carry. The calls are coming from inside of the house. For the very first time, no less. <laughs> Merry Christmas again from Jake. The Midnight Traveler, as we go for another round of naughtiness and nog here at Dying for Midnight. I was excited to see this one on the docket for our inaugural year, because man, do I have a lot to lay down underneath the tree for this one, folks. Now, I know that I've spoken ad nauseum about essential viewings and lost classics here since day one. But this one in particular still seems to go under the radar when it comes to notoriety and overall viewership. I think that the chances are pretty damn good that a lot of you out there haven't really seen this one, but you might have at least heard of it. Well, you're going to get an early present this year as we dive into 1974's classic Black Christmas, one that was truly ahead of its time and more well-loved than you might know. 
Yours truly discovered this one through internet research during the blitz of my post-high school horror viewing as I, at this point, had to dig deeper into the vast resources of the web to find stuff that I might have missed. Near the top of many different must-see lists of slashers was this little ditty from the mid-70s. Overshadowed by other Christmas horror films, it was this one that was spoken about very highly in terms of story, kills, cast, and basically innovation. Why the last one, you ask? Well, remember that release date. This was 1974, nearly half a decade before the quote-unquote official birth of the slasher in 1978. Holy hell, how did this one slip by? Well, it sort of did, and it wasn't until I wandered into the Giant Eagle on Wayne Avenue in Indiana, PA, during my sophomore year, that I was actually able to see this on a rental shelf with one of the coolest covers and best taglines ever. You two know what I'm talking about, right? Well, I was able to get my hands on it and take it all in, and boy, was I impressed on every level. Okay, now, I've talked a big game here, right? Well, let me try to back it up. First, we look at the cast. A lot of pretty well-known players from here that are both within and outside of the genre. Basically, a prank caller is harassing the women of a sorority house just before Christmas. And in that house are Olivia Hussey as Jess, Margot Kidder as the caustic Barb, Andrea Martin as Phyllis, and Lynn Griffin as Claire. Outside, we have Art Hindle as Chris and the great John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller heading up the investigation of another missing girl, as well as the goings-on at the house. If that wasn't enough for you, then check out the name of the director, one Bob Clark. Yep, the man behind another holiday classic, A Christmas Story, also did this. Man, would that be a killer double feature at your next party? Anyway, that cast and a really good story keep you involved with this from the word go. And boy, does it go. Now for the innovations. Many times people say to themselves when they first look at this, they notice the camera work and think they obviously ripped off Halloween. Well, check out that copyright date again, folks. This was a full four years before Carpenter did the tracking shots in Cali for his masterpiece. Also, in a move that is downright Hitchcockian, they put the killer inside the house at the beginning of the movie and keep him there. Everyone but the cast knows this, and it really creates an eerie mood that keeps up for the entire run of the picture. You know the location of the killer, but no one else on the screen does. When will the killer strike? Who will be next? Such a genius move. To me... This is the first North American slasher film. I specify that because later research would actually look to Italy as having the first slasher film with A Bay of Blood. But this one, I think, in a lot of ways shares more of the tropes that most everything after would follow. The ensemble of women here, I think, are some of the best ever gathered. 
each are given a lot of character with depth to boot. They really nail the diversity amongst the little group by having one being kind of timid and another one being kind of caring and another one being a mess, which really brings the viewer in when it comes to caring about them. They really tried to make them realistic and diverse at the same time, and I think each one gives a really great performance. Kidder especially. She really throws herself into this with abandon, but Hussey still really nails the secretive tormented part of Jess at the center of the film and drives the story along. Canadian Queen's Martin, in a rare non-comedic role, and Lowry also shine here, and Lowry in particular would go on to do more within the genre to the benefit of us all a little later. Long story short, you really have these girls and you believe them in their performances. Having spent many days and nights with college girls myself, I think that without this, the film would have really fallen apart, even with all the other great things going for it. And then we have John Saxon, next to Dick Miller, possibly another male genre actor who might warrant his own episode for just how awesome he is in everything that he does. Now, lastly... We need to talk about the impact of this film. Yes, I know that it's not that well known, but I do got a couple of stories about some of the film's biggest fans. And when I say big fans, I mean big fans here. In 1986, Olivia Hussey met producers for the film Roxanne since they were interested in casting her for the title role, right? Well, Roxanne co-star Steve Martin met her and said, quote, Oh my God, Olivia, you were in one of my all-time favorite films. Thinking it was Romeo and Juliet, Olivia was surprised to find out that it was actually Black Christmas. Martin claimed that he had seen it around 27 times. 27 times, people. That means he had to buy a ticket and see it in a theater because... Cable wasn't really around yet. Now, that's some serious devotion there. And why not? There isn't an ounce of fat on this one, and to me, with its lack of heavy gore, could be a decent crossover film to non-horror fans. But that isn't even the biggest piece of trivia I have for you on this. Legend has it that this was Elvis Presley's favorite horror film, and his tradition was to watch it every Christmas. Further rumors say that his family kept tradition alive and watched it in his memory. Bummer of that is, if it is 100% true, then he only got to do it a few Christmases before he passed away in 1977. Quick, somebody get Graceland on the phone for me. I want to say that they left this film alone and didn't try to remake it, but they didn't, and they did put out one during the glut of remakes in 2006. I know I should be more open-minded, but damn it, you know how I feel about these sort of things. It's a shame that for that one too, they assembled another good cast, and I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to check it out anytime soon, if at all. But this one, oh man. This needs to be another essential holiday tradition like opening presents and binge drinking. Put this one on for another holiday treat after the sun goes down. I think I'll wrap things up here. Someone keeps calling my phone. It's starting to bug me. 
I've already got one homicidal maniac in here, and that and if that asshole is trying to sublet, then I'm terminating his lease. See you next midnight, Jake. Okay, Jake, appreciate your inputs as always on this Canadian slasher. And uh, of course, much like uh, we've got a lot of Dick Miller love, we've got a lot of John Saxon love uh, in this horror podcast. Um, moving right along to favorite creator, cast, and character notables. Uh, you know, it's hard to pick one. Like I just said, John Saxon is an obvious choice for Horror Hounds, is Lieutenant Ken Fuller. As I started um, to say earlier, and I, and I didn't want to um, kind of give it away, we've got the first girl that gets it, Claire. Um, she kind of just becomes a centerpiece for the movie. She's not really somebody that you get to know more of. You actually spend more time with her dad. But really, the and two boyfriend. yeah, the two main women here are uh, Olivia Hussey as Jess and Margot Kidder as Barb. The boyfriends in this have quirks. Um, one is a piano player with an anger issue. One's a hockey player who likes to wear fur coats. Um, speaking of Claire, who's the one in the attic with the uh, plastic bag over her. Really, my only character that seems out of sync for me with the rest of the cast is the poor suffocated Claire's father, Mr. Harrison, who is a little too offbeat for me. However, I'm going to note that the subtlety in his performance improves as the movie goes on. But I wish that that character would have... The way that he was in the last few moments, I wish he would have carried that throughout the entirety of the film. Yeah, I just thought he acted like very stiff and odd and... I know his character is like trying to figure out where his daughter is at, but it didn't clash or it did clash with the rest of the characters for me. So that that's it. Uh, what other notes do you have for characters, Carrie? Anything you want to say there? Uh, I mean, I first of all, seeing Margot Kidder in this, that was huge for me. I mean, I love Lois Lane and I, I love her in Superman. So obviously, you know, I was like, ooh, Margot Kidder. All right. I'm down for this one. Um, now guys, it's almost time for intermission, uh, pause if you have to, but the new way we're doing intermission, you're going to want to stay and listen into that. If you haven't yet, we're going to feature two movie trailers. These movies are what we would pair with this week's flick for a double feature. Um, then starting in segment two or et cetera, we will explain who selected what movie and why. Then we're going to follow up with our favorite what-the-hell moment from Black Christmas, uh, our favorite death or effect. We'll rate it, uh, and then Carrie and I are going to decide if this movie lands on our own top five favorites of, well, it's unique to each episode. And then we might throw in a random thought or topic to close it out. So, love you guys. Stick around for segment two. See you soon. This isn't the interstate. I took a shortcut. To where? How can I help you folks? Do you know a garage? Not this late. Meanwhile, I'm wide open here. I'm sleeping in my clothes. I don't sleep in my shoes. Never should have gotten off the interstate. This looks like a real library of classics. 
You turn that off. David? Movista. I, I, I don't know. Is that this room? It sure looks like it. September evening. Dr. Malakis? Jill Johnson was babysitting for the two young children of a wealthy doctor. Okay. Bye. They told her where they would be and when they would be home. They told her everything she had to know, except what to do when a stranger calls. Hello? Have you checked the children? What? Hello, could you get me the police? Well, there's really nothing you can do about it down here. Uh, Have you checked the children? He's watching me through the windows. If he calls again, we can try to trace it. Why haven't you checked the children? Please, can't you help me? I'm all alone here. What do you want? Your blood. Leave me alone! Jill, this is Sergeant Sacker. We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Jill, just get out of that house. And the terror just begins when a stranger calls. Okay. Uh, one of these trailers I was not expecting at all. I would have not thought of it. Guys, we're going to talk about who picked Vacancy. Ding, and ding. <laughs> Carrie did. And why are you pairing that with Black Christmas, Carrie? Well... A, the phone calls. I wasn't expecting a 2000s film from I know, you. Okay. I know. The phone calls, the snuff film, the focus of one location, uh, I mean, they're both in danger in an area. And yes, while in Black Christmas, Olivia Hussey does go outside occasionally, but really, she's in that house. Most of the story happens in that house. And it's more of like, you know, it, where are you safe at for both of those? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to make the right turn? Where are you going to make the right move for both of those movies? So obviously that means I picked When a Stranger Calls um, for similar and even more obvious reasons for those of you who have seen it, which I'm sure a lot of you have. Uh, 
I would be totally down for a double feature that highlights Olivia Hussey and Carol Kane. And I actually probably would put um, Black Christmas first and then When a Stranger Calls second. And I'm just very morbid that way because that one, Black Christmas, the first time you watch Black Christmas, <coughs> pardon me, in my opinion, it is it does creep you out. But When a Stranger Calls really stays with you for a while afterwards. I would have reversed it. I know. That's my personality. You and Jake both like having a more fun i wouldn't call black christmas ending upbeat but it's not as unnerving as when a stranger calls you know what else would be a good pairing what's that house of the devil that would be a good pairing too you're just gonna think of any horror movie that has a phone in it (laughs) no it would be a good pairing your top 1000 list of horror movies with phone calls in them (laughs) we'll be here all night folks it'll be a five-hour episode (laughs) It's the episode you never knew you wanted. (laughs) So that brings us to our what the hell moment of the week. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is that? Okay, I am going to bring up a character that not too many people talk about. But I'm going to want to talk about Sergeant Nash's completely innocent yet hilarious scene when he's asking for the sorority's phone number. Uh, Sergeant Nash says, excuse me, could you give me the number of that sorority house, please? And Barb um, says, yeah, sure. It's uh, Fellatio 20880. Yeah, Fellatio. It's a new exchange. F-E. And Sergeant Nash replies, that's a new one on me. How do you spell it? Uh, capital F E little L L A T I L. He says, thanks. Barb's like, don't mention it. And she's smirking. And then in comes John Saxon, uh, Lieutenant as Lieutenant Kenneth Fuller says, what's this? Nash says, oh, that's the number of the sorority house. And the other cop starts laughing his ass off. And Fuller's like fellatio. Yeah. It's a new exchange. F E new exchange. Yeah, Felicia, one of the girls that was in this room gave it to me. And Fuller's like, she gave it to you? Yeah. <laughs> Fuller says, Nash, I don't think you could pick your nose without written instructions. And he says, I know, it's something dirty, ain't it? <laughs> so innocent. Oh, my God. <laughs> I That's my what the hell moment, because I'm like, that also shows the times. There's no way that that dialogue works today. No. It would fall flat. It would. No. What about you? What's your favorite what the hell moment? So my mine is actually, um, it has to be all the little hidden booze bottles we see throughout the house. <laughs> thanks to the house mother. I mean, I know one of the wreaths is decorated with little bottles of booze. but You know something? I never saw that before. Really? When somebody put uh, booze bottles on a wreath. I've never seen that before anywhere else. And then what happened was we watched this yeah. movie again. Yeah. And that commercial popped up. Yeah. For the, the local wine bottle. store. Yeah, the local wine store. I said, never in my life have mm-hmm. I seen a booze bottle decorated wreath. And now here it is twice in less than the 24 hours. And then they're even like saying, oh, put the gift card on the tree. Is that something that you did in your sorority? Or no. you saw it somewhere? No. Wow. Okay. Uh-uh. But it's a good idea. 
It's well, a you're fun talking idea. to me. You're talking to me like you've seen it before. I've seen it on an ad. Like after we watched this movie, it came. No, up. I know, but you're talking to me as if you have witnessed the booze bottle wreath. No, but it's okay. a cool idea. It is a cool idea. I'm not spending the money for it though. No, I'll uh, just take the booze. Forget the wreath. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, moving right along to favorite death or effect. Gary, you go first. Um, it's Claire's death. It, it just, yeah. it, it sticks with me. The fact that her father comes to get her and he can't find her. And they just, they keep showing her suffocated body in the window throughout the entire movie. I mean, there's different scenes that they just keep going back to her. And it's heart wrenching to think he's there and he's there and her, his daughter's there, and they just can't find her. And even throughout the end of the movie, they still don't find her. They still don't find her. Yeah, it pans out from the house, and there she is still in the attic window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty haunting. Yeah. Pretty haunting. You got to imagine, because the member of the phone's ringing at the end. You got to imagine. I'm imagining, like, at most another couple hours goes by before they figure it out. That, that's what I think. I'm hoping that that's what it is, but you know what? I don't know. They, I mean, nowadays, let's face it, those police officers would have searched the entire residence from top to bottom. Now. Yeah. I mean, as soon as they knew a call was coming from the house, they'd be like, check the attic, check the basement yeah. right away. Yeah. So that that's the only thing that's like suspension of belief a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Mrs. Mack, where she makes it to the attic, discovers your favorite death claire's body and billy uses the hook to her face pulling her up through the attic where she's finished off yeah and one of the last things she sees is well it is the last thing she sees is claire's body all right guys that brings us to our official rating and i feel very strongly about black christmas not only as a holiday slasher um, or just a holiday horror, but just a slasher in general. I think it's really well done. I think the characters are top notch. I think there's some humor peppered throughout that works really well. Um, the kills, it's not, it's not going to be, you know, a gore fest for those of you that haven't seen it yet, but, um, some of them are memorable. It's like signature, that bag over the head is sitting in the chair on the window. I mean, that's a very iconic kill now. So um, between that and, you know, you've got Margot Kidder and John Saxon in a slasher. Uh, Olivia Hussey, I mean, and the list goes on. Um, I just think everything about this movie was at least above average, if not really good. Uh, and in fact, I think the total package together... This is my favorite Christmas horror. I said that last week. Um, this really ranks up there for me in terms of when you think of 70s slashers. And the fact that this came out four years before John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, everybody there. What's the very first holiday slasher? Halloween. Nope. Black Christmas. Hey, I'm rating this an excellent four and a half out of five. <laughs> Carrie, what about you? Uh, yeah, so I listen before I give my rating, I'm just gonna clarify. I enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it very much. 
I gave it a three and a half out of five only because only because there were some plot holes and there were some things I wanted to see more of. Okay. That I didn't get to see. Is there is there can you just name one of those things either a plot hole or want something you wanted more of? Well, first of all, I wanted to see like I said, I mentioned about the police searching the rooms. That would have happened. Yeah, that's that's a gap. For sure. Uh, that father, he would have been searching rooms. Um, I, I think, like you said, his performance at first was a little flat. Yeah. The father. Um, and for me, I just, I wanted to see more interaction between some of the girls together before the Christmas party. They did sep- separate them out pretty quickly. And they were not interacting with each other a whole lot, like... Except towards the end, maybe yeah. with Olivia Hussey's character and the uh, girl with the the glasses. Yeah, and I wanted I wanted to actually see Billy. Like I wanted to see, even if it was well, one. And they scene, make you think it's the one boyfriend one for a little while towards yeah. the end. He's like a little red herring because of his anger. Yeah. Um, and she even thinks it's him because she heard footsteps outside, so she assumed it was him after all, and that's why she kills him. Yeah. So I mean, he was innocent. And he was just looking out for her. Yeah, the boyfriends are kind of weak in this, but it's not really about them. No. Um, but then the whole aspect, um, the one part I really did enjoy when she's watching the kids doing the Christmas Carol. That scene, and she's looking at the kids, knowing what internal struggle that girl's going through at this moment. She's pregnant, and she doesn't want to have the baby because she has plans. She has different plans for her life. And it makes you wonder, as she's smiling at these kids, is she going to change change her her mind? mind? Yeah, that's a good point. So, guys, that brings us to the overall DFM rating of four out of five flamethrowers. God, my voice is raspy. I feel like I need more tea, Carrie. I know. Um, so now, guys, we are going to... We've got a couple more sections uh, heading towards the end of this episode. We're going to talk about, does this movie, we're going to ask the question, land on your top five movies that have John Saxon, or is this one of your top five John Saxon roles? <laughs> Look, I- I'm out of it, so forgive me. Carrie, John, the movie's got to have John Saxon. Does John Saxon as Lieutenant Fuller doesn't land on your top five John Saxon roles? <laughs> no, and I know that's surprising, but no. So for me, I, I have a fondness. This movie, I don't know why. Number five, him in Blood Beach. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know why. That movie's growing on me. Yeah. Um, number four, he was in this movie with Debbie Reynolds, This Happy Feeling. Oh, that's interesting. That you're was going, you're really, going outside of horror. Yeah, okay. That was a I really like good performance. And then three, I have him as Nightmare on Elm Street, of course. That's a very iconic role for him. But two, him and Enter the Dragon. Oh, yeah. I mean... Outside of Bruce Lee, he's the second most important character in that movie. Yeah. And maybe this is sacrilege. I actually enjoy watching him more in this movie than I do Bruce Lee, to tell you the truth. 
it, it's it's i mean the performance is it's not even my favorite bruce lee movie no but the performances in that movie of everybody surrounding the cast is just fantastic i mean that's just a great movie and you know my dad he grew up wanting watching bruce lee movies he grew up you know i grew up watching westerns with him whether or not i wanted to you know that's what happened so my number one is the unforgiven now remind me of what that movie is let me show you well just talk about it a little bit too you're showing me but they can't see what you're showing me carrie so it's a western movie is that the one with clint eastwood Yes. Okay. Yes. That's that's what I thought it was. Yes. Okay. Yes. And who does who? I don't remember John Saxon being in that movie. Yes, he is. Hold on. Just hold on. It's your number one John Saxon movie, I Carrie. No. We're not feeling good, guys. I'm not. I'm really not. I'm over here motioning to her like, come on, out with it already. Oh gosh. I know. Well, who while you're figuring out John Saxon, who supposedly this is your favorite role that you can't talk about. <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> so does Black Christmas, where does Black Christmas rank, Carrie? So it does not rank on my list. Yeah, not it doesn't even get an honorable mention. It does, it does get an honorable mention. Any other honorable mentions? Uh Wes Craven's New Nightmare gets okay. an honorable mention. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to move right along to my top five list, if you don't mind. Go ahead. While you try to remember your favorite John Saxon role ever, Carrie. Listen, I'm, wah, I'm wah, not wah. feeling good. Number five. Hey, Umberto Lenzi, for at least a fraction of the movie, Nightmare Beach. We're actually going to be covering Nightmare Beach in season two. Uh, and actually, guys, season two episode guide is out on our Insta at DFM Mailwolf 2Ms. Uh, I've got to make some changes to the website, so I do plan to post it there, too. Um, number four, this movie, it makes it to my top five list. Black Christmas, of course. Number three, I'm like, your number three and my number three are the same. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, we're also going to be covering Sir John Saxon here as Nancy's dad next September during our new late summer slasher month. Number two, I'm really shocked that you didn't mention this one, Carrie. I know. Dario Argento's Tenebrae. I, I love his publicist. You think for a while, he's a red herring in that movie, but uh, you're so used to seeing him play a cop or an army guy. Um, it's funny. Everybody assumes every cop role he has is sheriff, uh, but really he's done Captain and Blood Beach He's done lieutenant. He's done sheriff. So his characters have gotten, I think, gotten promotions. The more he plays a cop, the higher rank he gets. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I, I do notice the difference at least. And number one, your number two is my number one. Enter the Dragon. Absolutely love his fight scenes in there. He's very his character, and that's very calm but collected. Um, I've got it of one that you ranked is my honorable mention is Blood Beach. Uh, we discussed that way back in episode 22. And uh, Carrie, you have to watch my other honorable mention, which is Cannibal Apocalypse. Um, but I I love your list too. Well, so being that I'm really not feeling good, 
I meant to say the Unforgiven. Oh, not not, not the Clint Eastwood one. Yeah, so which is okay. why I was so confused. Okay, so tell me about this other so, one. So this is with Burt Lancaster and Audrey Hepburn. Is one of their one of the main stars. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't remember that movie. Oh my God, I do. Yeah, I watched it with my dad. So what was it's John Saxon's really... role in it? So, and on he played Johnny Portugal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna finish out this episode by talking about Carrie, uh, our random or not so random topic of the week. We're going to sit here and talk about "Don't Open Till Christmas" versus "Christmas Evil," and which one does it better across various topics. So, okay, "Don't Open Till Christmas." Okay. You have the the British. Sleeves slasher. Okay, where the Santa Clauses are getting killed off by somebody who's got something against Santa Clauses. Yep. And then you've got Christmas Evil, which is the American maniac meets Christmas uh, from a guy who's got something against the real Santa Claus. And so goes around, um, as you guys are probably familiar, making his naughty and nice list. And punishing those who uh, have slighted him during his childhood uh, and during his adult life. And he's a true believer. And he is a true believer. And the movie ends in magical fashion, too, (laughs) might I add. Unexpectedly. In very E.T.-like ending, (laughs) before E.T. came out. Okay, Carrie, which one? the question is, which one does it better? And if you want to throw in a little short blurb about why, that's fine, too. Okay. Okay. Don't open till Christmas versus Christmas Evil. Which one oh, does it better? The opening. Christmas Evil. You think Christmas Evil's the the better <laughs> opening? Yeah. They both of these movies open up with sex. Yeah. Um. You could just feel the sleaze. Uh, the sleaze. I was gonna say the sleeves. <laughs> the sleaze of Christmas. Don't open till Christmas. Um. But. The Christmas Eve one is a little bit more memorable. I'm going to have to agree with you that there. Now, which Santa is more memorable, or which one does it better, I should say? I'm actually going to go with Don't Open Until Christmas here because you get multiple Santas. I was just going to say, because of that, you get... The you... fact that there's the the cop lineup, the suspect lineup. Yeah. <laughs> there's the seven-foot Santa. There's the black Santa. And then it's you hilarious. have the little Santa exactly mixed in yes yeah yep yep it's it's a whole slew of santas what about the overall cast which one does it better i actually think christmas evil does it better just the two brothers alone are so well cast yeah and they Um, play it the way that they're playing off of each other yeah And, and all the kids in christmas evil just oh my god the one neighbor kid that's asking for a playboy subscription (laughs) <laughs> the subscription to penthouse magazine yeah. oh, i'm sorry penthouse yeah and, uh, trust me to a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s there was a huge difference if you know what i mean and i think you do one showed a little bit more than the other <laughs> uh, a lot more so inventive christmas kill which one did it better mm-hmm. you know what I. I really think I'm going with Christmas Evil. 
Okay. He uses, I think, an ornament on his one coworker in his bed and kills him, I believe, if I remember correctly. I like he's outside of the church and he starts like reaching back into his bag, almost like he's got a thing, a quiver of arrows, except it's the toy soldiers with the sharp pointy bayonets. Yeah. He starts using those. He uses a toy to to kill a Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you there. Which one has the better killer? So, from a plot story, from a plot story, I would have to say don't open till Christmas because you have the whole brother thing, again, mixed in connection where you find out why he's doing what he's doing. And I think he's a little bit more sedated. Yeah. Like, I think the Christmas evil, the reason why he's killing these people is they are on his naughty list and they haven't been nice to him. I mean, the whole, he intends to kill his boss and the the new guy uh, at the church, but he can't get close enough to them because they're not really wanting to donate toys like they said they wanted to. Um, I'm going to have to agree with you there. Now, what about the setting? I, I'm just going to start off. I'm going to say I actually prefer the setting in Don't Open Till Christmas. I love that we're in London. Mm-hmm. I love that we get to see the seedy side of London. I like that they went to like the, um, what was the name of the museum? The, uh, yeah. the, the medieval dungeon. Yeah. Uh, like torture museum yes. basically i thought that was a really neat touch and then on top of it for no apparent reason we get a little concert with carolyn monroe i know in that too yeah which didn't really belong in the movie but it was but still neat, it was to, neat see. to see yeah okay so what do you think about the setting do you agree i agree with you yeah, yeah. uh christmas evil is supposed to take place outside of new york in and around outside of new york city you wouldn't know unless you heard some of the accents um, I thought the setting was kind of forgettable in Christmas Evil. Um, which one of those do you think deserves a requel, sequel, or whatever you want to call it? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's it's actually hard, but because you could argue that you could do a prequel for Don't Open Till Christmas, you could do that when the boy when he goes mental. And you see that, and you could have the whole thing about why he goes mental. Yeah. But I'm really going to go with, I want to see a sequel to Christmas Evil. <laughs> I want to see what happens when he flies over the moon. <laughs> yes. Like, does he come back the next year? Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up, guys. I think my last question for you this week, Carrie, is... Uh, next week on 1215, we've got Joe Bob's Creepy Christmas. Is there a particular movie that you would like to see him feature? I, I would like to see the, the Dick Ma's scent. Yeah, the guy yeah. who brought us Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love that. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, I know this is never going to happen, but I totally... I loved it whenever he did he did the, uh, the Bullets uh and breast episode where he did mothers the machine gun ladies so i wouldn't mind him picking out an action christmas movie in the vein of something like violent night or die hard i don't know he'll probably never get either one of those movies and i know that's but it would just i and if he happens to find an action christmas movie 
that would work for me too. But um, I'm fine with with uh, Scent. Everything I I kept saying, oh wait, he should do this movie. Oh, he already did it. He should do that movie. He already did it. So, anyways, guys, that wraps it up for this episode. Carrie, only two more episodes to go. Yeah. Next week, twelve fifteen, we've got Ray Weiss in Dead End, and uh, which is like an extended Twilight Zone <laughs> episode. And our last episode is a newer Hammer movie, The Lodge, on Friday. 1222 wraps up our first season. Love you guys. Happy holidays, everybody. Peace out.